0: Hello from Yerushalayim and Beit Shemesh. It's Benjamin Rose and myself, Gedalia Gutentag, with Mishpacha's Home Front, covering Israel's biggest conflict in a generation. Benjamin, hello.
1: Hello, Gedalia. The big news at of this hour is Bibi Netanyahu's interview with David Muir of ABC News, and he said something that was necessary to say, and something that also was expected, and something that we've been waiting for. When everyone presses Israel as to what's Gaza going to look like the day after. So Netanyahu came out and said that the IDF is going to have to take security responsibility for the Gaza Strip for an indefinite period after the battles are over. That's big news. That's very big news. And it's uh, something that could put him in uh, the crosshairs of the Biden administration because uh, they would prefer for some reason to see the Palestinian Authority uh, take over in Gaza. But uh, I think that would be a terrible idea for everyone. Uh, what Netanyahu was saying is something that uh, we have to get out on the table right now that Israel is not going to be able to guarantee security for its citizens unless it takes control of Gaza in much the same way that we did in the West Bank after uh, uh, the uh, Pesaf uh, massacre at the Hotel in Netanyahu, where Ariel Sharon said, Enough is enough. And for the next two years, or maybe it was a year and a half, The IDF started to take over and started to assume security control of Judea and Samaria once again. And while there have been terror in those areas, it's never been as bad as it was. I mean, Benjamin, this takes us all back to the
0: period before 2005. And, you know, hindsight is, it can often be wishful thinking. And we know what came after Hamas took over and Israel left was far worse than what came before. But I, I think it's important to remind ourselves of the fact there was a reason Israel left Gaza. It wasn't just because of international pressure. It was due to Israeli domestic pressure. They were constant firing and mortars into the communities there, into the, into the Agush Katif communities. There were shootings. There was constant terror down there. This was no Ghanadin. And so the question is, what's to prevent us literally setting the clock back to a very bad time, to that low-level, drip-drip, ongoing terror, and what's going to differentiate after the, the simple terror war and before the 2005 disengagement is it perhaps because israel has so thoroughly pacified the gaza strip that there's no other actors left to commit terrorist attacks or can we assume that they're going to come back low-level terror as indeed perhaps worse in the west bank but we're just going to have to live with that i wonder what the answer to those questions would be
1: i'm not sure we know the answers yet i think it's a dream to believe that everything will be as you said gone and and totally peaceful and quiet after all is said and done But a lot of times when it comes to making decisions like these, you have to decide, okay, what's the best of the different bad scenarios? The worst of the bad scenario would be to pull out and let Hamas reconstitute itself or allow the Palestinian authority to come in and and they're just as bad in as many ways. Probably a less problematic scenario would be again for a certain number of IDF troops to maintain bases and maintain control and set themselves up so that firstly, that uh, they're as well defended as possible, but also just as importantly, to make sure that the Jewish communities of the border of Gaza can be inhabited again and that the Jews can feel safe and, and live life. But yeah, moving
0: on, I think that one of the things that we uh, know, again, that we talked about the fog of war being particularly dense going on in the Gaza Strip, although it's such a small area on Israel's border, and that's intentionally so. We'll talk about that in a minute. But what we do know is that reports of IDF fighting near Shifa Hospital. Now, Shifa is is Gaza's main hospital. We also know that just like Lahavdil, every Israeli shul has a gun underneath. The Gaza hospitals have guns underneath, which is military bases. So Shifa being the largest hospital is also the Hamas command post. And we know they have an extensive, whatever they have down there. We're going to see IDF has got to take over this thing, take over the hospital. We know that Al Jazeera or others are reporting that Israel has attacked the solar panels on the roof. Don't know whether that's true but they're clearly showing that the hospital's not going to be spared. They're going to have to take over this entire thing and get to the bases and flush out whoever it is underneath and destroy the Hamas presence there. I wonder whether we're going to be able to see what they're going to find underneath that hospital. I wonder whether they, the pictures of the Hamas terror headquarters underneath operating theaters is going to be perhaps a boon and a positive a plus for Israel's international legitimacy, because we know that legitimacy is a fluid thing that doesn't go in one direction. It's, it, it's fluid, as we say. And I'm just wondering, therefore, if those pictures that conclusively prove to the world and to Israel's friends, what I'd call in the wobbly West, amongst Israel's allies who nevertheless, are very, very, very hyper squeamish when it comes to Palestinian casualties at Israeli hands, wonder whether there'll be a moment in which you say, ah, yes, we get it and we get why you're fighting. Are you optimistic?
1: I'm skeptical. I wonder because I'm certain that the intelligence agencies of the major Western countries are all aware of this. Uh, They've seen the pictures that we've shared with them about what's underneath Chief Hospital. And whenever we don't have pictures, we've done in illustration form, and we share that intelligence with other countries. So the leaders of the nations are well aware of this. The problem comes in, what happens in the street? The people who are just taking to the street in so many countries, to demonstrate against Israel, I don't think anything would convince them to take Israel's side. And that's going to be Israel's ongoing problem. and always has been. But when I talk about the wobbly West,
0: I don't mean the hate-filled bigots who had pictures and demonstrated with pictures of Hamas hang gliders when dead Jews are still being found and before a single Palestinian had been killed. I'm not talking about that. You're never going to convince those. Those are utter anti-Semites, the bigots and the fellow travelers on the left. But what I am talking about is you see that sensitive center who are theoretically and they are well disposed towards Israel. And yet, for one reason or another, they are super sensitive to any Palestinian casualties. I think that when you see not just some grainy footage and some allegations from intelligence services, but you actually get a a guided tour. Here it is on floor two is the operating theater and floor minus four is the main command post. I still wonder whether that could steady the nerves of some across the the wobbly west. I've I've said it three times I've coined the term now. One more thing, a related point really about what is known and not known in this war is satellite imagery. What we do know is that there's a lot that we don't know and that that's intentional, that Israel has been starving the international press and domestic press of anything that they really want to publish. And it's actually been remarkable how little there is out there. Now, there's a report that some providers of commercial satellite imagery, such as Planet Labs out of San Francisco, have been blurring the pictures that they release or releasing them late when it comes to imagery of Gaza, which is an interesting, interesting development. What do you make of that, Ben Yawin?
1: This is good. And I would say that probably Israel has influence over the process. Uh, We're in the middle of a uh, very difficult campaign and uh, have uh, pictures of what's going on on the ground in real time uh, can only work against us. Uh, It could reveal uh, where our troops are located. It could reveal the methods and the uh, tactics that they're using. So as far as I'm concerned, the less reporting, the better. And I say that as a journalist, i to, likes to know everything that's going on and tries to find out what I don't know. I mean, there's just a couple of thoughts that occurred to me when you're speaking now, which
0: is that number one, one of the things we don't know, and I suspect this is a, a major point on which Israel's intelligence services are you know, exercised by this, what level of imagery Iran is able to provide to Hamas. There's no question that they are working in tandem. And Iran, we know, has spy satellites so on its own. I was just looking up, they launched one recently, sometime this year, third spy satellite. The question is the resolution of their cameras and whatever. And that is, at least according to the sources that were reported at the time, not clear. Now, that could be not clear to the reporters or not clear whatsoever. But that's one thought. The other thought is, I wrote about an economist last week, uh, about Elon Musk's, ex, you know, his network of Starlink satellites. But again, over here, it's the same thing. There's a troubling fact that the capabilities that were once the sole province of government, such as the U.S. government, those satellite and spy capabilities are now in the hands of commercial firms to do or not do with as they please. There must be national security laws. And again, as you say, the U.S. must have leaned on them not to provide that, but it's a worrying thing. So that is a related thought. Binyamin, do you have any bright spot for the day?
1: The bright spot that I thought is, I see there's a move in Congress to form some sort of Jewish caucus of the uh, members of Congress, which would be mainly Democrats, but also there are a couple of Jewish Republicans that would basically—I wouldn't say they would lobby on behalf of Israel, but uh, they would keep their eyes out for Jewish interests—and I think that could be a very positive development right now in the United States, uh, especially if they focus on anti-Semitism in the U.S. rather than trying to wrap their hands around the Israel-Hamas conflict and tell Israel what to do or what not to do. It's an amazing thing that it doesn't exist. It hasn't up until now. There is a a more informal group, actually, that's been working, and that's what I understand one of the hangups, because Congressman Nadler from New York has been the head of uh, this more informal group, and his position could possibly be jeopardized by the new group that Debbie Wasserman Schultz of Florida is trying to form. But overall, I think it would be a good thing, just like we've seen activists here in Israel work to our benefit. I think that if all the Jewish members of Congress got together and uh, agreed that there are certain common battles, again, mainly anti-Semitism, that they have to be on guard for and, and to fight as a group, just like you have a Congressional Black Caucus and a Congressional Hispanic Caucus. I only see that as a positive.
0: Indeed. Let me just mention two guys sitting opposite me, literally in the window outside a school, Uh, two guys with very long, ancient, long barrel M16s, probably from the home front, who, you know, the the, the guns of such antiquity, I, I assume they saw service in the Vietnam War or something like that. But the reason that's a bright spot is simply because it's a lovely thing to see the interactions, you know, the little ghaedah boys and going past and people giving them food. When you have these soldiers sitting there, they kind of get adopted by the locals. So we have our locals, we, we've got order for pizza going to come through. These people will not survive the war with their waistband in the current position. They will undoubtedly grow. So that is a lovely sight to see. So I wish you a good day and good news to all of us.